add my welcome to you all this Lord's Day. And I do invite you now to turn uh, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I'd also like to invite you <clears throat> to imagine for a moment uh, we are in post Edwardian England in the early 1900s. We're visiting a large estate, big mansion someplace in the Yorkshire countryside. And if you don't, you don't have any mental categories for that type of thing, just think Downton Abbey. A lot of you could then kind of locate yourself. <clears throat> and as we make our way through this massive home, we're impressed uh, in, in each room, first of all, by the sheer size of the space, height of the ceilings, <clears throat> spectacular lighting of the chandeliers, the hardwood floors are polished, the rugs and drapery and tapestries are thick and plush, and everywhere the woodwork, the, the stairs, the banisters are, are of the finest finished mahogany. And as we make our way from a large entryway through a warm sitting room, majestic fireplace, and then uh, through a great hall designed for hospitality, the obvious entertainment and pleasure of guests, and on to another room filled with volumes upon volumes of books, kind of like being in a public library, we finally enter a vast room with no other furnishings but a large glass case. And though this room is plain, unadorned in any other way, this, there's this case and it's, it's lit from above and it's lit from within. And, and when we approach the glass case, we discover that it is filled with a stunning collection of jewels. Necklaces, pendants, bracelets, swords, daggers, ones with ornate handles and gleaming blades engraved with ancient inscriptions and uh, symbols. And there are crowns. Crowns of gold studded with diamonds and other precious and priceless jewels. Friends, this is what we have in the Gospel of John. And, and within this Yorkshire-like estate, the Bible, um, we, we, uh, we have rooms filled with treasures. And the Gospel of John is such a treasure. And John chapter 6 is a crown in its own right. And in this crown of John chapter 6 are precious and priceless jewels. And it's, it's, it's almost unthinkable just to uh, take it and look at it for a few minutes and then that's it. Um, but for today, my goal is to survey with you the treasure that lays in the first 
59 verses of John chapter 6. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take a couple more weeks to consider more closely just two of the more incredible jewels in this crown before we then finish the chapter and we'll move on to more treasure in John chapter 7. Now, I, I begin by framing this text that way because I believe it captures uh, the essence of one of the, the essential truths that Ryan highlighted last week. Namely, you can turn to Scripture without turning to Jesus. That is, you can read the Bible and not see treasure. But you cannot turn to Jesus without turning to Scripture. That is, you cannot behold any greater treasure in all of heaven and on earth apart from humbly and carefully and attentively and hungrily reading the Bible. And so with that, I want to invite you to follow along. I'm going to read John chapter 6. I'm going to read all those 59 verses. And before I do, let's pray. So we would come to your word now, Lord, with, with a desire to not just see words or sentences on a page. Our desire would be is to behold the glories of our great Savior. So we're asking you, Father, if it would please you, open our eyes, open our hearts, grant that we might behold you and taste of you and experience you. This is bread, this is food the world knows not of. And flesh and blood is of no help in helping us to desire it, helping us to treasure it, helping us to, to see glory. So we're turning to you, we're turning to you for this help this grace, this illumination. Do this, Lord, for your glory and for the satisfying of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm hearing the song in my own heart now. <clears throat> John 6, 1 through 59. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, 
Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they? For so many. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And you know, it, commentators speculate here if that's just the number of men, then if, if everybody was included in the census, um, it, it could be somewhere around 20,000 people. That's a, it's a large number of people. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost, that nothing may perish. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Or more literally rendered it from the original language, I am. Don't be afraid. I am. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had, only, there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. 
when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father, has set His seal. They, then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. And so they said to Him, Well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about it, because He said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written, in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God.
everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So, therefore, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is God's holy and precious and authoritative word. Now, now the claim of this text seems clear. Namely, eat the bread that comes from heaven. Eat the bread that comes from heaven. The reference to bread that comes down from heaven occurs no less than ten times in John chapter 6. And the command to eat or feed upon or work for or come to or believe in or receive of this bread occurs no less than 14 times in John chapter 6. Six. So eat and eat and eat and eat the bread that comes from heaven. Or to say it another way, make it your self-conscious, intentional purpose to make 
Jesus, Jesus who is the bread that came down from heaven. Make Jesus your perpetual and consuming passion. Make Jesus your perpetual and consuming passion. Now let's, let's unpack that notion for a bit. <clears throat> the Apostle John is, um, he puts together these three sections that give shape to the narrative of John 6, 1 through 59. And, and he has a very significant time and event on his mind as he does so. There's a, he, it just casts a tint on what he's saying here. And that time, that particular event, is the exodus of God's people from Egypt. John has on his mind this time between slavery and promise fulfilled. He has in his mind this, this period between Egypt and the promised land. He has in mind this period between redemption, salvation, and full inheritance. Notice, he references it first in verse 4. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. This is the second Passover referred to in, John chapter, in the Gospel of John. So, this is now the second year into Jesus' ministry life. And of course, the Passover, the Passover was that event that marked the final, the most horrific of the plagues poured out on the Egyptians in order that God would save his people. The reference is followed immediately by this miracle, astonishing miracle of Jesus turning food enough just to satisfy one young boy into food enough to satisfy 5,000 men, probably somewhere like, as I said earlier, 20,000 if you include men, women and children. There, there, this is all just an echo of God's provision of food for a million or more in the desert. In verse 15, Jesus withdraws, just like Moses, to a mountain all by himself. Verses 16 to 21, the focus is on a supernatural crossing of water an echo of the Red Sea miracle, probably an echo of also of the, the dry path through the Jordan River referenced in Joshua chapter 4. Then verse 31, there's a direct reference then to manna provided in the wilderness. In verse 41, the Jews like the Israelites in the wilderness are grumbling, they're complaining. Verses 32 to 58, Jesus turns the whole conversation into an explicit declaration that he himself is the true bread of God, sent from heaven, given that the people might not perish, but have eternal life, that they might enter into this promised rest. Why does the Apostle John shape the narrative this way? Well, I believe that in the same way that Israel needed bread from heaven in the time between Egypt and the promised land, so the redeemed of the Lord need bread from heaven in the time from when they turn, trust Jesus, until the day they cross the threshold of eternity. Israel didn't need manna when they were in Egypt. They had melons and garlic and whatnot. <clears throat> Neither would they need manna 
when they got to the promised land because they'd have milk and honey and really big grapes. And uh, no Israelite on, on finally reaching the land after 40 years in the wilderness would, would even think of heading out and, you know, in the morning scoop up all those white flakes off the ground. They'd be too busy planting crops and making wine. But in the meantime, in the time in between, they needed bread from heaven to sustain them on this journey. And in the same way, we are on a challenging pilgrimage, obstacles along the way, dangerous journey from past deliverance to future rest. And loved ones, those of us who have been set free from slavery to sin and death, are, we are somewhere be, between there, then, and the day we settle in our true eternal homeland. And until that day, we need, we need to eat every day. And the bread that we need is world this, knows not, this world knows not of. It is, a, it is a bread that is not of the perishable kind. Jesus says in verse 27, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. What does that mean, do not work? Do not work for food that perishes, but work for food that endures to eternal life. Now it's, it's crucial that we, we keep in mind that this is not, this is not a, a, a reference to a theological discussion with the Apostle Paul and the relationship between legalistic works and the obedience that, that rises from faith. The issue that Jesus is raising is, what are you really after? What are you really after in life? What are you all about? What are you striving for? What is your passion? What consumes you? What is your work? And his point is, is that on your sojourn to heaven, you, you don't make bread or fish or good grades or getting a boyfriend or fitness or FOMO, whatever it is you fear of missing out on. Don't make those things your consuming passion because none of them are going to last. Just like your home won't last. Your lawn won't last. Your job won't last. Not even your family will last. We are living in the time between the redemption of Jesus and the return of Jesus. And the time that we have is relatively brief. And everything here will perish. So work for food. Give yourself to that which will endure to eternal life. So, <clears throat> say that 
your missional community is you're planning a day at the park, and uh, <clears throat> you say, okay, okay we're going to be out in the sun all day. No worries, though. I got the snacks worked out, and um, I got the food taken care of. You don't need to bring a cooler. Um, I got it all covered. And, and you show up at, at the park, you know, and by midday. It's a hot summer day. And uh, what did you buy for this day at the park? Well, hey, everybody, I got some, uh, I got some popsicles, and I got some ice cream bars. I got all the Stensland chocolate milk anybody could ever drink. I even got this great deal on Jack's frozen pizza. But you see, you didn't think things through. All those things are great. They would be wonderful, wonderful to have. Um, bread, grades, friends, fitness, family, jobs, those things are all great. Ice cream, pizza, chocolate, milk, they're all great in their own context. But they're not going to last at the park because it's hot out. Ice cream, popsicles, Stensland chocolate milk, and Jack's pizza are going to spoil. It's all going to perish. Think about it this way. If you were moving from Sioux Falls cross country to, say, San Diego. I've been there. Uh, that would be a great place to have as your final destination. So you're moving from Sioux Falls to San Diego, would you stop, would you stop and buy land and build a big house in Seward, Nebraska? Probably not. And that's nothing against Seward, Nebraska, right? I mean, they're a great town. We know some good people down there. We like them a lot. But the truth is we're just passing through. Seward's not the final destination. San Diego's the final destination. So why would you buy land, build a big house someplace in the middle of the journey? It's not where you're going to live. San Diego's where you're going to end up. I mean, you could tent your way out there. Some people could. Some, some people would even sleep in the parking lot at Walmart. Um, because anywhere between here and San Diego really just doesn't have any permanence. So work for that which endures. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. Food that endures to eternal life. What does that mean? What work is Jesus commanding us to do? Look at verse 28. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Well, that's awesome. I can check that box. I believe in him whom he has sent. Done. What else? Let's get on to the big stuff now. It's important for us today, probably, to understand what a radical statement that that really was. How incredibly costly it was to believe in Jesus then. It was 
it was a severe reality. It was difficult because nearly everyone around them believed in something else. At that point in time, relatively few, very few believed that Jesus was the Christ and yielded to that claim. It was a costly matter because believing in Jesus meant, I'm trusting you. You are the one I have waited for all my life. You are my consuming passion. You are everything that I am after. You are who and what I am wholly and perpetually giving myself to. And that was hard. It cost something. It cost everything. And there was another group listening to Jesus on that day. Verse 41 says... So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Verse 47, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So, or therefore, or since they were having a hard time with this, were grumbling about it and disputing about it, because of that, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 58. Whoever feeds on this bread, this flesh and blood, will live forever. So, that didn't land real well. And, and you know, we need to put ourselves in their heads for a, for a, a moment. They, don't, they just didn't have categories like we have for these things. we got these tables set up here, right? We've had communion regularly, some of us, for years. Some of you even maybe come from some religious background where you actually believe that there's a supernatural shift that takes place. That these things actually really literally become Jesus' flesh and blood. They did not have those categories. They did not have that kind of imagery as a point of reference. So, so, so Jesus' audience, they're just thinking cannibalism. They're, th it's, it's, uh, they're, they're not thinking in sacramental terms. 
oh, he's thinking about the Lord's Supper. They did not think like that. We're used to spiritual language about blood. You know, we're washed in the blood. We're saved by the blood. To the Jews on that day, they were thinking, eat your flesh, drink your blood. That's, that's sick. That's not clean. That's not right. And I, I cut my face about three days ago shaving. I, my wife looked at me, and I got blood trickling down my cheek. And she, I, she, I tell you, she did not say to me, oh, can I have some of that? I mean, it was, no, it was... So why doesn't Jesus just pause and help them out a little bit? Hey, folks, you know, I get what you're thinking. I get it. I get it. Great question. How can a man give you know, his flesh to eat and his blood to drink? Hey, let me explain it to you. It's, it's a metaphor-like thing, kind of, sort of, or not. Why doesn't Jesus just cut them some slack? And it's because Jesus really had no problem being misunderstood by those who willfully scoff and intentionally harden their hearts toward him. Loved ones, a contrite, trembling spirit, Jesus will never deny. He gives grace to the humble. But to those who dispute and who grumble against him and resist him. He doubles down. He says, you want some misunderstanding here? Let me give you misunderstanding. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you have no life in you. So, how do we eat Jesus' body and drink Jesus' blood. And I do believe he gives an explanation for us in verse 35 when he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So eating is the same thing as coming. Drinking is the same thing as believing. And never growing hungry and never going thirsty is the same thing as eternal life. And Jesus repeats it over and over and over. Eternal life, soul-satisfying life, is to Eat me up and drink yourself full of me. To devour me. To feast on me. To commune with me. To be joined to me. To make me your perpetual and consuming passion. Loved ones, Jesus is not rebuking anybody for having desires or longings or hopes or dreams. Life in this time between redemption and glorification, is a, it's, a, it's a wilderness at times. We are a black hole of needs. We need 
and need and need. And Jesus knows our cares and will supply those needs. But eternal life, eternal life is eating and drinking and devouring and consuming and feasting on food this world knows not of. And that is Jesus Himself. Jesus Himself is our glory. Communion with Him is our glory. I mean, I was just thinking about this again Friday morning. I think about my, I got prayer lists, you know, and uh, I pray through these lists every Every day it's a different list. And, and really my prayer lists are made up of a whole bunch of things that I want. They're all my wants, you know. My praying for my family and praying for my wife and praying for you and praying for our church and praying for this and that and the other thing. They're, they're all needs upon needs upon needs. <clears throat> And even in my spiritual pursuits, it's about pursuing Jesus kind of like the people were pursuing the loaves of bread. You, you know, you're just, you're just following me for the loaves of bread. And we need bread. We got daily needs. But there is something greater. There is something more satisfying to the soul, more necessary to get us to the end Eternal life, soul-satisfying life, is to eat Him up. I believe Jesus here is just saying, you know, think this out. You're sojourners here. Work. Pour yourselves out for what will last. Make me your perpetual and consuming passion. And I say perpetual because... Eating, drinking, those aren't one-time activities or events. Jesus is talking about a repeated activity of faith, a repeated activity of trusting, a repeated activity of relying, a repeated activity of rehearsing the good of the gospel day after day after day. Come again and again. Eat again and again. Drink again and again. Fill yourself up again and again in this time between your deliverance and the day you'll finally be at home with the Lord through intentional, joyful reliance on the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Now there is a way that we do that by way of remembrance. And that is through this act of communion, participating in the Lord's Supper, where we take a piece of bread and we take a little cup, which are to us symbolic of Jesus' sacrifice and His redeeming work on our behalf. He is the Passover lamb that was slain. He is our deliverance. He is our justification. He is our atonement. He is our forgiveness. In Him we have adoption and acceptance. And by participating in this, we are saying again, Jesus died. His body was broken and His blood was shed for the sins of the world. And by eating and drinking, 
we are saying again, Jesus died for me. He was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. And I am taking him in and nourishing my soul again on him. My greatest need is resolved in him. And so if you are trusting in Christ Jesus and Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for the fulfillment of every promise, including the promise that is yet to be fulfilled, that promise of a promised land, a final rest, a final destination with him forever. And you count him as your Lord and you've resolved with the help that he supplies to follow him and to keep his commands and to trust him and obey him because you trust him. We invite you to participate.